0: I think, as a novice, people are often afraid to admit that something went wrong. You gave the wrong medicine. You gave the wrong breast milk. The IV extravasation happened, and the baby has a wound now. I think we have to be able to acknowledge that this has happened, and you can say, "I'm sorry that this has happened to the child." People are afraid to say, "I'm sorry." I'm sorry that you, as a parent, are going through the angst of being worried about this process. Saying sorry is not accepting the blame. Saying sorry is not saying that you did anything wrong. Think to me saying sorry and acknowledging that they are worried about it is being on the same level with them, making them feel as a part of a team and acknowledging that what they're going through is
1: valid. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Web. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you.
2: This episode is being sponsored by Veritas. Veritas offers virtual alcohol, drug, and trauma treatment programs exclusively for licensed medical professionals. Their programs provide a concierge level of care consisting of evidence-based clinical treatment, and are customized to meet the unique needs and challenges of physicians, dentists, pharmacists, and nurses struggling with substance abuse. Their virtual confidential platform provides the safety and security medical professionals need to get help while continuing to work. Confidential, convenient, and compassionate, Veritas brings world-class treatment to your home or office. Beginning on March 9th, Veritas will be launching a free CME substance abuse webinar series for the medical community. This CME webinar series will bring together experts for panel discussions on what the future has in store in a post-COVID world for helping physicians who are struggling with substance abuse. This is an event that you do not want to miss. You can register for this free CMB webinar at www.veritasolutions.com. Today, I want to introduce to you another amazing guest. Today, I have the honor to introduce you to Dr. Vita Boyer. Dr. Vita Boyer, an assistant professor of pediatrics at Zucker School of Medicine, Hofstra University. She is a board-certified neonatologist, associate medical director of the neonatal intensive care unit and is a certified wound specialist physician practicing both neonatology and wound care at Cohen's Children's Medical Center of New York, Northwell Health Hospital System. Dr. Boyer is the only wound certified neonatologist in the country and developed Northwell neonatal wound service, the only one of its kind in the area. Her work with neonates and wound products has been featured in Good Morning America, published in various journals, and has received awards and honors. Her teaching style and dedication to compassionate care led to her nomination and completion of humanistic mentoring fellowship program at the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra. And in 2018, she was honored with Queen's Ambassador Award for exceptional contribution to the community in the professional field. Born in Eastern Europe, she came to the U.S. during her high school careers and then attended Salem College in North Carolina. She stayed in North Carolina, graduated medical school at the prestigious University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And then she made her way to New York where she completed her pediatric residency and fellowship. Dr. Vita Boyer is a reviewer for various medical journals. She is a member of the Society for Pediatric Research and has published extensively in various medical journals herself. Well, welcome Dr. Boyer and we're so honored to have you here. I think you and I met, I think what, about a month or two ago through LinkedIn, I believe, correct?
0: Yes, Tony. Well, first of (laughs) all, thank you for the kind introduction. (laughs) <laughs> um, we have met through LinkedIn, actually, and I came across your podcast by actually looking to one of my previous colleagues from the pediatric residency that you have interviewed as well. And I was just really at awe at the discussion that you had and I reached out to you and I just wanted to say, hey, I think this is so great and this is so useful for other people to hear different aspects of what difficult conversation might be in uh, medical and personal life.
2: Yeah, we had that conversation. We had a quick call, and you and I had such flow of conversation, which happens, you know, every now and then. We have a lot in common, both being the entologist. But then we started talking about my favorite topic, difficult conversations, and I knew right away that you were going to be a great guest on our podcast. So I kind of grabbed you right there and said, "Please come on." And and you were gracious enough with your time. So I want to thank you again. And we're going to discuss all that. You know, I make two promises to my audience every week, and that is one to be inspired, and to to learn something about how to have difficult conversations. And we're going to talk about both of those things, and I'm sure I'll keep my promise today. But first, I usually like to start out with just getting the audience to know about you. So who is Vita Boyer? You have an incredible story coming from Eastern Europe and how you ended up in New York, Long Island, correct? And so I just want them to find out who Vita Boyer is, tell us a little bit about your professional and what excites you. And I also noticed here that you have some very cool hobbies and call yourself an adventure junkie, but tell me all about Vita.
0: Sure. I think from the professional standpoint, as you said, I'm a neonatologist. I practice neonatology in Long Island, uh, just outside of New York, in the level four neonatal intensive care unit. And I think that's my first professional passion. You know, as I went through my pediatric residency, I always knew I wanted to work with children. As I'm late in my first year, I realized that taking care of these premature and vulnerable babies, having an approach to a patient as a whole, not just one organ, and also the thrill and the excitement of seeing them do better, having an ability to do procedures and collaborate with different subspecialties is what made me want to be a neonatologist. So I think first and foremost, I identify as that. I enjoy teaching, I enjoy collaboration, and I think this is why I've stayed for all this years in our institution. It's an academic institution. We have fellows, we have residents. So a big part of my day is not just clinical care, it's actually teaching the resident how to interact with patients, teaching them how to interact with parents, collaborating with consultant physicians. Then I think I identify myself from the professional standpoint as a wound physician as well. This passion came early in my career as a neonatologist. My early interests were in respiratory care, in really sick kids, and I realized that a lot of our neonatal babies have very fragile skin and many had skin injuries. Some of them had surgeries and nothing could have been done, but others were caused by us, by the hospital equipment, by taking care of these really fragile, premature, tiny babies. Actually, statistics is very important. You know, about 30 or 40% of small kids in the NICU have skin injuries and about 8% of them live with a scar. And so when I started this, I realized that I would look around and ask my colleagues, how do I treat this? Or how do I enhance this mood? Or how do I help this to heal faster? What's safe for a baby who is 500 grams in 24 weeks? And there were really no good answers at that time. And so... I think I'm a curious person and I think I like a challenge and I think this became a challenge. I wanted to figure it out for myself. I thought there would be a better way to approach this and even if there wasn't a better way, we had to know what's out there, what needs to be developed, what needs to be taught. And I decided to certify in this adult specialty and I reached out around the country and asked multiple wound and ostomy nurses and other physicians, help me, tell me, is there guidelines? Is there something to share? And unfortunately, there was nobody who was interested in sharing this. And so I proceeded with doing my clinical and academic and going through the specialty and became the first uh, and still is the only one, I think, wound-certified neonatologist in the country and went on to build our neonatal wound service as well as seeing many pediatric patients throughout our hospital. So I think professionally, this is my second and ongoing passion. I combine both neonatology and wound care And that's really has been a great ride. Personally, I am a mom, I would say. And what I like to do, one of my really biggest hobbies, I guess, or joys in life is to travel by myself, or with my kids. And I actually often combine my professional and personal interests. Being in this unique field of skin and neonatology and pediatrics, I have been lucky enough to be invited to travel to different countries, to present at different conferences, consult to different NICUs how to build skin teams. And at the same time, I often take the opportunity to take my kids with me. As a neonatologist, you and I are very busy. There's a lot of cold, there's a lot of work, and it's often very difficult to find the balance as a mom and as a professional.
2: Absolutely.
0: And so that's um, sort of where the two combine.
2: You describe yourself, at one point, I heard you say you were an adventure junkie. <laughs> What does that mean? What do you like to do? I know you're a football mom and you play tennis and my family all played football. So we have that in common. But when you say an adventure junkie, what do you like to do?
0: Well, when we travel, we find interesting activities that some of them, I would say my own personal mother doesn't approve necessarily (laughs) of, You know, and I sort of drag my kids and my husband to go do them with me. Sometimes we swim with the sharks and, uh, you know, I tell my family later that we have done that. And when we traveled to Australia, we had climbed their highest Sydney Bridge, wow. kind of just walking on the edge of it. And I have climbed uh, the highest Alaska mountain on the glacier Wow. and things like that. You know, nothing too extreme, but at the same time, interesting things to do.
2: That's great. And we have to have that work-life balance, which is so hard. Most people might not know this who's listening, but... Neonatologists are different. We like these small challenges. That's why I think we pick the little babies and we tend to be into adventure also. Your story struck me as you were talking about when you were trying to find some information about wound care and didn't find any. It really paralleled what happened to me when I was a neonatal fellow. And I was seeking help for people to tell me how to have difficult conversations. And I was asking people, please tell me how to tell a mother that their baby suffered severe brain injury. And the answers that I got mostly were, well, this is how I do it, but I don't know if that's right. I was told things like, just say it fast and get it over with, really bad advice. And then I did very similar to what you did. I looked through the literature and found nothing It was just like you. I had to seek it out. And in my instance, it was just interviewing parents and family members that heard bad news. So I certainly identify with that. And you're a trailblazer. And you're right. I do find that there are a lot of skin problems in the NICU, and having somebody who's a neonatologist that can do that is awesome. This episode's about difficult conversations. So I want to move over to that. And you and I had discussions about you're also the director of the NICU. And in our neonatal intensive care unit, for those people in the audience who are not in medicine, there are babies that are born very premature, around one pound, and they sometimes spend over a hundred days in the NICU and even more, not many, but some of those babies go home on ventilators and tracheostomies. And those can be the most difficult conversations I think to have with a family other than your baby's dying or passing away, but they're very hard to navigate. And you and I talked a little bit about this, but how do you navigate through that conversation that You need to speak to the mother with, as we call it, a family meeting and try to navigate through that. This is what's the realistic aspect of what's going on and baby might need to go home on a ventilator, et cetera. Tell us how you do that and give us some advice if you don't mind.
0: I think this is one of the most difficult part of the NICU. You can sort of have this acute conversation that something happened abruptly, but then you can have this prolonged stay. Some of our babies, we have somebody who's about eight months old who's now in our unit. I'm going to digress for like 30 seconds. I remember one time watching a lecture and a psychology teacher raised a glass above her head and sort of held it for a while and asked students how heavy it is. And students throw in, you know, five ounces, three ounces, sort of numbers. And then she said, yes, it's true, but it's not about that. It's about the perception. If you hold it for a minute, it's not heavy. If you hold it for an hour, your hand sort of hurts. If you hold it for a day, you want to drop it because you're in pain. And if you hold it any longer, it becomes constant in your life that you will never be able to move on and do anything else until you somehow resolve this. I love that. To me, this babies who are in a NICU for a long time, this baby with chronic lung is like that. It's a very good parallel life. If you're in a NICU for a week and it's tough, you can manage. If you're in a NICU for a month, it's getting tougher and you still see that light in the end of the tunnel. And if you're there for so many months and you have so many ups and downs, This is when it gets emotionally so hard and so draining. And so the way we should speak to the families should be based on that. We have to understand that they're there for a long haul. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so I think initially when you start your conversation, you build the rapport as a physician, as a scientist. You tell them what the baby has, and this is where we're going. But as the time passes, I think you have to step out of being the physician. You have to put yourself in a situation of relating on a personal level. You have to relate. I mean, you have to somehow connect. And that, the perception of you as a human being by the parent is what's going to help you to have successful conversation. I guess I call it, I think there's a definition, tactical empathy. Mm -hmm. Empathy is not feeling sorry for somebody. It's being able to understand that person who's sitting across from you. It's putting yourself in that person's shoes and not seeing... What they think is right or wrong, but trying to understand what is it that is important to them, how they feel about something, and what is it that you can do to help. So when I have this conversation with these families, and it happens more than once, that's what I do. I try to sort of update them. This is where we are, and then explain that this is what's happening to the child, this is what we are faced with, and this is what might be a potential outcome. But Then you have to move on and you have to see, where do you stand as a parent? Do you understand what we're telling you? What might come from this? And what would you like to see? What are you hoping for? You have to hear their side as well. But as far as the basic advice, I think a lot of the newly practiced physicians have fear of having this difficult conversation. They're afraid that the parents might be angry, and often they are. They're afraid that showing emotion is not the right thing to do, which is often not taught in medical school. So there's a lot of mnemonics, actually, I think, out there what can help you. And I guess a few important points to talk about is setting. You want to make sure that you speak to the family and say, I would like to have a meeting with you. What is the time for you to come? Is there a family member that can come and support you during this time? And so we usually try and set a time aside in a common area with the family member maybe the social work at least in my practice usually that they have support that it's calm, it's quiet my phone is off they sit down and we can have a face-to-face conversation where nobody feels that you're being heard and you're just sort of on the side the conversation this conversation have to be determined they have to be with a purpose and then I think you have to put it in perspective while you're here you have to set the stage and I usually like to give a little bit of a Overview of what has happened today or what has happened in the last week. And this is where the challenges are. And if the patient is not doing well, which many of our babies who have chronic lung disease or maybe neurologic problems are not, you tell them what you're doing and what the outcomes are. And if things are not great, you can say, I wish it was feeling better. I wish we could go up on the ventilator settings, but we are still trying to do everything we can. And then you ask the parents to have their turn to summarize. What do they understand? What are they hoping for? What are they wishing for? Is there something we can do for them? Because over many months, they are part of the story as much as a child.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important. And there are different acronyms out there. In my book, it's all in the delivery. I developed an acronym called PROGRAM. The take-home points of what you just said is so important. It's about active listening. I've trained thousands and thousands of doctors on how to break bad news. We do videotape improvisational role playing. And when I review their tape with them, I'll ask them, what was your main goal in this conversation? And the most common answer is give information. And I kind of just half heartedly and kind of jokingly say, then why didn't you just hand her a piece of paper? And the young doctors will just realize that it's not about information. It's about what you had said. It is about forming that bond with them. And listening, what you were describing so well is really what people call active listening, right? And, and I think sometimes we don't do that. The other thing that I thought that was great that you mentioned was about this being a marathon and in the NICU, it gets to you, right? I love that, that example of holding the glass up. So there's parents that come in that are the sweetest loving parents and, and they're just being frustrated. I mean, they maybe had a little bit of setback And we have to, as a group, even though we're tired and we're working really fast, kind of put ourselves in their shoes and say, okay, so they yelled and they acted a little irrationally, but you don't blame them. That glass is getting awfully heavy, (laughs) right? Absolutely. So I think that's really, really great advice for them. And then there's also medical error advice that I just thought of, because some of the problems in the NICU, which you talked about for wound care, as you mentioned very clearly some of those are iatrogenic as we say or they come from the treatment so iv infiltrations people in there who are in medicine or nicu the iv catheters we put in these babies are often bigger than their veins and so sometimes they get infiltrates and wound cares and that could be the source of a lot of anger and it sounds like you're the one often that has to discuss with the parents that their baby may have a scar and you're doing and so Any different or different advice you can give when you're discussing something that went wrong because things do go wrong in medicine?
0: I think as a novice, people are often afraid to admit that something went wrong. You gave a wrong medicine, you gave a wrong breast milk, the IV extravasation happened and the baby has a wound now. I think we have to be able to acknowledge that this has happened. And you can say, I'm sorry that this has happened to the child. People are afraid to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you as a parent are going through the angst of being worried about this process. Saying sorry is not accepting the blame. Saying sorry is not saying that you did anything wrong. Think to me saying sorry and acknowledging that they are worried about it is being on the same level with them, making them feel as a part of a team and acknowledging that what they're going through is valid. And then you have to say what happened in a simple way. Most of our families are not medical people. And explain what is it you're going to do about it. This is what happens when extravasation occurs. And this is a treatment that I'm going to start on your baby. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the skin heals well. That's one example, a simple one. But I think really they're angry often. Pressure injuries from devices or surgical wounds that they hiss, it often elicits anger. You have to step away from the anger and you have to allow them to vent. And as I say, I hear that you are saying, I understand this is how you feel. And I wish that it didn't happen, but it did. And we're going to do everything we can to make this feel better. So I think acknowledgement and connecting to the patient, or in this case, to the parent on the personal level as well. I think, and it's not specifically with the wound, actually. I think this is more with the chronic lung kids or who score in the NICU for different reasons. I'll give you an example. Just recently, I had a family that was readmitted to the NICU. The baby was in a chronic facility on oxygen therapy and has failed this and needed to have a tracheostomy done. The tracheostomy was done, but had a really tough recovery for the week after. And mom and grandma came just really, really angry, blazing fire that the hospital will pay. And we will do this and this and this, just very, very angry that this has happened to the child. And we sat in the quiet room and I told them what happened. And then on top of this, the baby had an extravasation. And mom said, oh, and now the baby has an infection in her foot. And I said, no, the baby just had an extravasation. It happens to a lot of babies. They have very fragile veins. And the grandmother, who was actually the dominant figure in this family, said, oh, yeah, I have a really fragile veins. Anytime I have to go for a blood drop, they have to poke me so many times and I have bruises. And I said, oh, you know what? Me too. And it happens to me all the time. And it, you know what? So it does happen to my son and he fainted once. And we sort of digressed and we talked about something else on a personal level. But the moment I did this, her angry attitude subsided and her warrior face softened mm-hmm. and we sort of connected on a human interaction level. I don't think I was just a doctor to blame anymore. I was somebody that understood what she was going through. So I think if you can do that, as well as acknowledge that you understand what happened and you're going to try to make it better, those are the two key points in the interaction.
2: That's fantastic advice. And in my book, It's All in the Delivery, I go through the acronym program for Breaking Bad News and also for patient experience. And when we discuss conflict resolution, which is what you're speaking about, the G in program is genuine. And so many times I'm put in a situation, maybe because that's what I do, or I enjoy it, where it's Dr. Orsini, I'm glad you're here. We have an angry parrot. And being a genuine person and saying and you related to that grandmother. You said, My son has it too. I have it too. All of a sudden, you weren't this Dr. Vita Boyer, you were Dr. Vita Boyer, who also is a real person. And right away, and people in general, I can't tell you how many times I speak to risk managers about medical errors. And I've done some training in other hospitals about how to give medical errors. And right now, medicine is still far behind business and communication. And and so There's a medical error and all of a sudden the risk manager wants to come in the room with you, two attorneys, the charge nurse, and you're walking in there with five people. And all of a sudden the mother, the patient's looking at you and they're going, something's really wrong. They're trying to hide something. Why are all these people here? When the best thing that you said is have the doctor go in, say that they're sorry that this happened. The patients want to know that you're doing whatever you can to help that and to prevent it from happening again. And the American Bar Association. Made a statement 10 years ago that if you feel a relationship with your doctor, you're unlikely to sue, even if prompted to do so. So even if a lawyer says, hey, Tony, I think you should sue the doctor, I would say, no, I really like Dr. Boyer. I'm not doing that to her. It was an accident and it happened. And so it's the right thing to do. And this is why I love communication so much. I mean, you can really change the outcome of that. Look how much you made that grandmother feel better instantly. Oh, Almost like my premature baby is like me. We both have fragile veins and I get it. And so that was, I really think that's awesome. So let's keep moving on to, God, there's so many difficult conversations that we have. So now you're such a great communicator. You're teaching the students, the medical students, the residents. It's still not taught in medical school. Very little is taught about communication. So how do you help? Do you bring the medical students in I've said in other episodes before, sometimes I'll ask the resident, did you call the mother? And then I'll throw them off by saying, what did you say? <laughs> and, and they go, what? What, what do you mean when I say, it? like, I want to know what you said. And so, or I'll say, go ahead, talk to the mother and I'll stand in the back and I'll go, well, you didn't sit down. You didn't, you know, there's a lot you didn't do. How much time do you spend going over communication with your residents and for other physicians who want to help them learn better communication? What's your advice?
0: So I think you have to balance the said You don't want 10 people entering the room and you're giving somebody bad news. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have done that. And specifically when I'm on a team, when we have resident fellows and parents are often there and we try to update them, as you know, during our clinical rounds. And so what I've done is sometimes I would tell the residents, stand sort of on the side and I pull a chair and I sit next to the parent and they are there in the room, so as I can observe, but they're really not within this active conversation that I'm having as the parent. And I have this active conversation with mom or dad or both, hopefully. And I asked them, I said, I would like to give you an update how ABX is doing. Would now be a good time. Can we do that now? And I think sometimes the best way to teach somebody how to do something well is to show it to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Show the residents and the fellows how to be empathetic, show them how to deliver bad news, how to react to potentially a volatile or crying reaction, and hopefully they can learn. And then when we step out of the room, I will talk them through it. Often before we go into the room, I say, well, if the parent asked you, what would you say? And right. you have to understand your medical facts first and foremost, because we are there as physician and you have to be prepared. You have to do your due diligence, and I always talk about it. Don't go into a room saying, oh, let me get a piece of paper and let me see, you know, Johnny is, and I'm not so sure. You have to know. So always prepare. But find an appropriate settings. Make sure that you understand parents' perception. That's really, really important. The other thing that I actually put a lot of attention to, it's important what you say, but it's often how you say it. And it's your body language as well. Remember years ago, I heard a lecture by actually an FBI, a person who usually does a negotiation. And he said it's seven, seven, 55 rule. People pay attention 7% to what you said, 35% to how you delivered it and 55% on your body language. And so it's important what you say, but how you say that could have totally different meanings. If you're sarcastic, if you're not genuine, if you low tone, if you high tone, exactly the same sentence can sound totally different. Somebody, if you look uninterested and if you have your phone next to you and you're looking to the side while you're giving this bad news to the family, they're going to know you're not genuine and you really don't care and you're just there to give the news and stuff away. So That's one of the big points that I want my fellows to understand. You really have to be present and as you said, active listening, but also active engagement in the conversation.
2: In my book, that's why I called my book, It's All in the Delivery, because exactly what you say is not what you say, it's how you say it. If you're listening to this podcast, go back to my podcast, listen to the interview with Dr. Helen Reese. Dr. Helen Reese is really the world expert on empathy. And we had a great conversation previously. She wrote a book called The Empathy Effect and how it affects us in every aspect of our lives, both our professional and our personal lives. And so does difficult conversations. And so One of the things that I do when I try to train healthcare professionals, and now I'm going into businesses now because it's the same communication techniques that help managers become real effective leaders. It doesn't have to be in medicine. These are all communication. What you talked about, active listening, building relationships, building loyalties. These things are really very important in your private and your professional life. It also helps in things in marriage and it helps build rapport and sometimes what i've learned through medicine i've really helped me with my marriage because it's all the same right it's about building relationships and listening to each other
0: i agree i think it's all in uh, communication and well i think marriage is tougher than taking care of patients <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> or having teenage children that's another one but yeah i think active listening is not easy i think when we listen we are almost always sort of thinking in our head, hey, what am I going to answer? Or what would I say to that respond? And you're almost thinking about your own experience. So I think it's really tough to step away from that mindset and just say, I'm just going to listen. Hear what the other person says. You don't have to agree with their standpoint or their view. Let's say in America, why didn't you clean after yourself? Well, because I was busy doing that. So it's not the fact that maybe whoever you or she was wrong, it's why and what happened. Try to really hear somebody else's perspective. And I think that's the same in business and in management. What is the other person's point? What is his point of view? Again, you don't have to agree, but maybe it will make you understand where they're coming from. And then you can bring your point of view from a different perspective.
2: And in business, and every other week we try to do business, in business, using these communication techniques, If you want to ask your boss for a raise or a promotion, how do you go about doing that? If you have a problem with an employee or a teammate, instead of just being upfront with them and tell them, here's the issue. If I'm giving a bad progress report to a worker or a team member, I want that person to leave that room feeling that I disappointed Dr. Orsini and I want to do better. You don't want that person to leave being angry. And these communication techniques Work, especially during conflict resolution, even in my teenagers, who I try to get to come home to visit their mother on Valentine's Day or visit their mother on their birthday. It's tough for tell a college kid to do that, but if you do it right, as I say, you lead them to the water, and my son or daughter will say, "Dad, maybe I'll come visit mom Tuesday night." I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so you just kind of let them up to that, but yeah, communication is wonderful. And with all these episodes, this is why I'm so excited about this podcast because they just stack up on top of each other. And each week, we learn stuff from you that I relate to an interview that we had with Helen Reese, or we relate back to an interview that I had with Claude Silver, who's the chief heart officer of Media, and how we use empathy, compassion, relationships to get through our lives. And for me, we just had Dr. Dyke Drummond on, who's a, an expert in physician burnout. And we talked about When you're engaged with your job, when you're engaged with your patients, you talk so great about imagining and putting yourself in their place. You go home feeling better about your job. And I think you decrease your incidence of physician burnout. Wouldn't you agree? You just go home feeling better.
0: Oh, I agree. I did listen to that podcast. It was great, actually. And anybody can relate to it. It's not just a physician. But I think in the last six, seven months with COVID, I mean, a lot of the physicians are under so much stress and strain. And in the NICU, I mean, we are always under stress. It's a stressful job. We are dealing with life and death quite a bit, or with the babies who have been there chronically. So I think burnout is really, really important. How do you prevent that? I think communication is actually very, very important. Communication between your superiors and yourself is really important. So I think if you feel that what you're doing is valued, if you're spoken to respectfully, if you're happy with your job, if you enjoy what you do, that will lessen that burnout, even if you work many hours and even if you work really tough. And if you have a better communication with the nurses, with the fellow physicians, with the parents, I think mental burnout is even harder than physical. I think as physicians, we are perfectionists, at least many of us, and we are our biggest critics. And if you didn't do something well, if you didn't say something well, or if the conversation went really badly with your boss, you're going to go home and you're going to, Perseverate about it and say, oh, I could have done this and I could have done that. So I think stopping for a second, thinking about what is it you're going to say, how are you going to say it, really important. And in your personal life, sometimes I think if you're angry or if you're tired or if you're sort of stressed out, maybe stepping out for a minute or maybe sleeping on it for a night and have that discussion the next day. Same at work, as a boss, if you have to give somebody a criticism or a suggestion, think about how you're delivering it. Not rolling your eyes, facial expressions can say so much, not being sarcastic, specific tone of voice. All of this, I think, are little tricks that can make somebody feel better and make or break a relationship.
2: Yeah, and body language is so important. And the message, that's why I call the book, It's All in the Delivery. When I do consultations in hospitals and we do patient satisfaction Programs to help them improve their patient satisfaction scores. We walk around the hospital and we read signs. And after a few signs that we bring up, even the administrators start to chuckle and start to laugh because you see the person put that sign up there and it could have been worded so much better. It sounds like these are the rules and this is what you're supposed to do. And I show a sign of three people standing up in my workshops, three people standing up at attention in a row. Holding briefcases and it says, Stand online. And so we'll go over these signs and say, You think there's a better way of saying this? You know, so, you know, we'll be with you in a second. Please wait here. And so after a while, people graduate from my workshops and I can't stop doing this either. I'll go to Walmart and I'll look at a sign. I'll go, Oh my God, that sign is terrible. So it's the message. Communication is a lifelong learning process. I'm learning every week from people like you and from the other. Guests that I've had, even though I've taught thousands and thousands of people, you constantly learn and you just add on top of it and stack on top of it. And it affects every part of your life. And that's why I love doing this podcast so much. And certainly my audience was inspired by you and you gave such great advice. But we still make mistakes. It's lifelong learning. And back to what you talked about with the residents, sometimes I'll leave the room after the residents watch and I'll say, I made a mistake. I said something I shouldn't have said. What was it? And it's like a little game they play. And they go, oh, you know what, Dr. Rossini, you, you talked a little fast. Or I always sit down, so I never make that mistake. But Helen Reese talks about what you just mentioned. This empathy effect slides up and down. Part of our day, or sometimes our day is bad or we're not doing well. And maybe we need to wait until we've had a second alone before we go and have that difficult conversation. I think that's great advice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think in a Nikki, you know, At night, you may have a patient pass away, and yet you're expected to complete that task and go on and take care of 50 others. And so being in tune with yourself, and if you need to step away for five minutes, and being able to take the time to recollect yourself is very important.
2: Yes, it is. I can't tell you how awesome of an episode this was and how informative this whole thing was. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, they can do it through LinkedIn or email. How would they, if they want to speak to you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn and my email is vboyer at northsville.edu. So both would be totally fine.
2: And we'll put that all in the show notes. So everybody will have the links to that. Thank you again. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe button. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and many others, Google Podcasts. You can go ahead and subscribe so you'll get an automatic download. Don't forget to go back and listen to all the other episodes. It's been great. If you want to know more about the Orsini Way, you can contact me at Orsini at theorsiniway.com or you can just go to theorsiniway.com and hit the contact list. I want to mention our sponsor one more time, The Finley Project. It's an amazing organization. Noelle Moore is an amazing person. I have literally seen Noelle save mother's lives from suicide by what she does and she's been through it. She knows. So please go ahead and contact the Finley Project at Finleyproject.org. Remember, they are the nation's only seven-part holistic program that helps mothers with infant loss. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Dr. Boyer. It was an absolute pleasure, and I hope we will speak frequently. This has been great.
0: Thank you for the invitation, Tony. It has been great.
2: Fantastic. Thank you, and have a good night call tonight.
0: <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye.
2: This episode has been sponsored by Veritas. Veritas offers virtual alcohol, drug, and trauma treatment programs exclusively for licensed medical professionals. Their virtual confidential platform provides the safety and security medical professionals need to get help while continuing to work. Confidential, convenient, and compassionate, Veritas brings world-class treatment to your home or office. Again, don't forget about their free webinar series beginning on March 9th. This CME webinar series will bring together experts for panel discussions on what the future has in store in a post-COVID world for helping physicians who are struggling with substance abuse. This is an event that you do not want to miss. You can register for this free CME webinar series at www.veritasolutions.com.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.